Well, I love that. Don't you? I even saw Bucky down here singing right along with you. I don't think I've ever seen that before, Bucky. That's and some of the rest of you were as well. Well, last week we began a three-part series from the parable of the prodigal. And uh, our focus last week was on the prodigal. This week it is going to be on the elder brother. One of the mysteries of life to me is how children born to the same family can be so different. I know if you have more than one child, you know the truth of that statement. Children are different. They are different in their development. In our family, fortunately, our firstborn was Stephanie. The reason I say that is because with your firstborn child, you're very attentive. You talk to people about when they're supposed to do something. You read the books about when they're supposed to do something. And so I read in the book that the child is supposed to walk at 12 months old. And so on Stephanie's 12th month and her birthday, I put her in the floor and I said, all right, says so you're supposed to walk, walk. And so she took off walking. I mean, she did exactly what she was supposed to do. Now, when Eric came along, he walked when he got around to it. He, he never read the book. He didn't care what other people thought. He just did it whenever he got around to it. So I was glad that Stephanie was our firstborn. But our children don't develop at the same stage. As a matter of fact, children born to the same family are not necessarily the same in appearance. The Bible tells a story about Jacob and Esau. They were twin brothers, but they were very different. For instance, the scripture says that Jacob was smooth-skinned. He liked to hang around the house with his mama because he was a mama's boy. He didn't even have a date until he was 40 years old. So there was Jacob, and then there was Esau. Now, the scripture says that Esau was an hairy man, that he liked to be outside, that he was a hunter. But I see these twins, and yet they were very different. They didn't even look alike. So children then are different in their development. They are different in their appearance, and they are different in their intellect. My brother, for instance, was very good with math. I was good at shooting pool. So we were not at all the same. He, he, he did better than I did. I ended up preaching. He ended up in financing. But nevertheless, he got to heaven before I am too. So he did well. The, the, the brothers in the parable are different as well. Now, the prodigal that we looked at last week, the prodigal is the black sheep in the family. It's important that we have one because that's someone we can be better than. So every family needs a black sheep. The prodigal was the black sheep in the family. He was selfish. You recall when we looked at it last week, I said that he went to his father and demanded that his father give him his inheritance. That normally did not happen until the father died, but he wanted it then. So he was selfish. He was insensitive. He broke the heart of his father, but it did not seem to bother him. He was immoral, or, or at least that is implied in the parable. So when we looked at the prodigal, he is the black sheep. Today we look at the elder brother who appears to be the perfect son. You know, he's the one in the family that everyone says, why can't you be like him? All right, so that, that was the elder brother. He, he was a hard worker. He was dependable. He was where he was supposed to be doing what he was supposed to do when he was supposed to do it. So he did everything right. He was dependable. He was a hard worker. He was moral, or at least we assume that from 
the, the parable, he was the good child. Here, here's the surprising thing though, all right? The prodigal was the bad child. The elder brother was the good child. And yet it seems that God found the prodigal more acceptable than the elder brother. We're going to look at that today. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse number 25. Now, his older son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things might be. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began entreating him. But he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I have been serving you, and I have never neglected a command of yours, and yet you have never given me a kid that I might be merry with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your wealth with harlots, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, My child, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to be merry and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. Now, you know that this is a parable, and a parable is a, an earthly story that has a heavenly or a spiritual meaning. When we began last week, I said that the prodigal represents the Gentiles. The elder brother represents the Pharisees and scribes, and the father represents God. The truth is, in this parable, it was told to focus on the elder brother. Now, we focus on the prodigal, but the, but the parable was actually written to call attention to the elder brother. Now, if you look at verse number 1 in chapter 15, Now, all the tax gatherers and the sinners, that's the Gentiles, were coming near him to listen to him. And both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So the reason for the parable is to focus attention on the elder brother who represents the scribes and the Pharisees. Now then as we look at this, we see that the older brother was doing right, but his spirit was wrong. His deeds were right, but his spirit was not. He had a condemning spirit. First of all, he condemned his brother. Look at verse number 30. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your wealth with harlots. He said, this boy of yours, he's come back. What did he do while he was gone? He wasted his inheritance. He spent the money on harlots. He was angry at his brother because his brother was an embarrassment to the family. This boy's embarrassed us all. Don't you know that, Dad? This boy has embarrassed the family name. So he condemned his brother, and then he turned and condemned his father. He said, and this is what you do? 
this son of yours who has wasted his inheritance, who has been out with the harlots, he comes home and you throw a party for him? What's that all about? So as I look at this boy, the problem he had was a condemning spirit, but that was the problem of the Pharisees. You see, the Pharisees did everything right, but they had a condemning spirit. They were very concerned about crossing the T's, dotting the I's, the religious ritual, all of those things, but their spirit was bad. You recall the story that Jesus told about the publican and the Pharisee. They went into the temple to pray. The publican was in there and he was humbled. The Bible says that he could not even lift his head to God. He just beat himself upon his chest and said, Father, be merciful to me, a sinner. You remember the prayer of the Pharisee? The Pharisee stood and was praying to himself. God, I thank thee that I'm not like other people. Swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax gatherer. So when the Pharisee prayed, God, I'm thankful I'm not like other people, like this guy over here. So he had that, the Pharisees had this condemning spirit. When, when the woman who was caught in the act of adultery was brought to Jesus, the Pharisees were there with stones in their hand ready to stone her, and then they condemned Jesus for extending compassion. They oftentimes did that. They condemned Jesus because he didn't wash properly according to the ceremonies. He broke the Sabbath. He broke the other laws that they were keeping. The truth is, as I look at this parable, I, I said to someone this morning, when we read the story of the prodigal, most of us are more like the elder brother than we are the prodigal. Right? Condemning spirit. We condemn those who are lost, who are without Christ. Because it's easier to condemn them than it is to witness to them. It's easier to condemn them than it is to pray for them. Those people who are lost in your circle, don't you find it easier to condemn them for their behavior than to tell them that Jesus loves them? But not only do we condemn those who are lost, we even condemn the brethren when they don't do things the way that we do things. The disciples did that. The Bible says in Mark 9, 38, John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. And we tried to hinder him because he was not following us. Isn't that amazing that even the disciples were that way? Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons of all things. They were casting out demons in your name. We tried to hinder them because they were not one of us. We have a tendency to condemn those who are not like us. Maybe they don't worship the way that we worship or maybe they don't sing the songs that we like to sing or maybe they don't attend the Bible studies that we like to attend and so we have that condemning spirit. See, that's what this is about. That's what the story is about. It is about the Pharisees and the scribes who did things right, but they had the wrong spirit. 
And then that led to a childish spirit. Look at verse number 25. Now his older son was in the field. When he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things might be. And he said to him, well, your brother's come and your father's killed a fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in. Isn't that the attitude of a typical spoiled child? The Bible says that he became angry. This brother didn't deserve a party for all things. you got to be kidding me. Now dad's going to throw a party for him. He's been out there living the way that he has been living. And dad is celebrating his return. He was angry. Let me ask you a question. Do you ever get angry when someone else gets blessed? Why is that happening to them? I mean, they're worse than I am. Why do they get that promotion? I didn't get a promotion. Why do they get that recognition? I didn't get the recognition, you see? The Bible says that he became angry. Because he was angry, he became estranged from his brother. In verse number 28, but he became angry and was not willing to go in. I'm not going in there. They're having a party in there. I'm not going in there. House is not big enough for both of us. That boy's been out there wasting his dad's money, living around with harlots. You think I'm going in there where he is? I'm not going in there. How many times have you heard someone say, if she goes to that church, I'm not going to that church. If she's in that Bible study, I'm not going to participate in that Bible study. If he leads, I'm not going to follow. So when I look at this boy, I see that he became angry and then he was estranged from his brother and then he began to pout. Look at verse number 29. But he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I've been serving you. I've never neglected a command of yours, and yet you have never given me a kid that I might, might make merry with my friends. He's feeling sorry for himself. This good-for-nothing son of yours, he's out there. He's lived the way that he has. You have a big party for him. I've been here working. You didn't give me a party. No party for me. I love the story about the man. It was Sunday morning. His mother went in to wake him up. She said, son, get up. It's time for you to go to church. She said, I'm not going. Yes, you're going to go. It's Sunday. You're going you're to go to church. I'm not going. There's nobody down there likes me. You've got to get up. Why should I go? I'll give you two reasons. First of all, you're 40 years old. <laughs> Secondly, you're the pastor. See, we have that childish spirit. We have a tendency to have a childish spirit. When things are not going the way that I want them to go, I become angry because someone else is blessed. I begin to feel sorry for myself as a result of it. And then that leads me to a self-righteous spirit. The problem that the elder brother had is that he is comparing himself to his younger brother. And so we see in verse number 30, when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with harlots, you killed a fattened calf for him. Did you notice that he referred to the boy as being his father's son, not his brother? When this son of yours, who devoured the wealth that you gave to him, the inheritance that he received, he's wasted that. That's gone. He's immoral. He's been out with harlots. You know the question that comes to my mind about that is how did he know that? 
How, how did he know that's what he's been doing? Well, probably because that's what he would have been doing, but I don't know. I, you know, it's just a question. How did he know that? But any fool could see the difference between these two boys. So what the elder brother does is begin to point out how bad his brother is or was and then how good he was. Look at verse number 29. But he answered and said, This father, look, for so many years I have been serving you. Father, I have been serving, I have been faithful, I have been dependable. You have been able to count on me. He continues in verse number 29, and I've never neglected a command of yours. I'm not sure I buy that. I have never neglected a command of yours. I have never one time messed up. Well, that's what he said because that's the way that he saw it. Let me tell you the problem we have. We have a tendency to compare ourselves to each other, and we can look pretty good that way. If I compare myself to some of you, then I look pretty good. And some of you, if you compare yourself to me, you look pretty good. Here's the problem. God does not compare me to you, nor you to me. He compares us to Jesus, and none of us looks good. That's the reason the Bible says all have sinned and come short. We don't measure up. Come short of the glory of God. Folks, I don't care how good you are or how good I am. The fact is we do not measure up to Jesus and that is God's standard. You and I like to compare to each other or to someone else because we can find someone who will make us look pretty good. God compares us to Jesus that's his standard. When I look at this elder brother, he was doing right, but he had a wrong spirit. Another thing I noticed that he was a son who lived like a slave. Because you see, sin steals a son's joy. I, I, I look at the father at the prodigal. He was in the distant country. Now you remember when he went there, he thought he was going to have a good time, didn't he? I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be away from my father's influence. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to have the money to do. I'm going to live it up. I'm going to have a great time in the far country. And listen, young people, listen to me. You will for a while. There's fun in sin. If it weren't attractive, it wouldn't appeal. So yes, there's fun in sin. It just doesn't last long. This young man thought, I'm going to go into the far country. I'm going to have a great time. I'm going to do things my way. But he ends up in the pig pen. Do you think he's having a good time there? He's lost everything. He's hungry now. Sin stole the son's joy. But then I look at the elder brother the elder brother stayed home doing what he was supposed to do with the wrong spirit. Did he have any joy? No, he didn't have any either. Because sin will steal your joy. My guess is there are some of you who have remained in the church doing the things that you're supposed to do, but there's no joy in your life. Because sin will steal your joy. That's what happened to this elder son doing everything right, but his spirit was wrong, and so there was no joy. Sin makes a son a slave because a slave does what he does because he has to. 
A slave is doing what he does because that's his requirement. He just has to do it. The elder brother, he was fulfilling a, a duty. He was, he was out working in the fields doing what the father wanted him to do because that was his job, that was his responsibility, that was his duty. When sin is in control of our lives, ladies and gentlemen, then service becomes a duty to us. I know that in church attendance, there are some of you here and you think, how long is this thing going to last? And as soon as they start singing the invitation, I'm out the door. One of these days I'm going to put counselors back at the back so they can talk to you on the way out. Probably not today. And if we happen to go five minutes over, you're angry when you leave. Why is it? Because it's your duty and you're just here because of duty and there's no joy in that. Service is fulfilling an obligation. You do the things that you do because you're expected to. Giving, just paying rent on the pews. Got to try to help them keep the doors open. You see, here's the difference. When a, when a slave serves, it's because he has to. A son's service is based on love. I'm a son. Attendance. David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Do you feel that way? No, you don't have to answer that. I don't want to know. I do. I look forward to Sundays, pray about it all week long. And I, I think about coming and singing. I looked this morning and saw the, the bulletin. And I said, oh, it's going to be a good day. I like that music. I look forward to it. I look forward to seeing you and worshiping with you. And my goodness, we're going to come together here. We're going to sing and we're going to praise and we're going to study the Word of God. I can't wait. When, when, when we serve as a son, there's great joy. God said to Isaiah, who will I send? Who will go for me? And Isaiah said, here, let me do it. Here am I, send me. Let me do it. It wasn't a duty. It was something that he, he wanted to do. He wanted to serve the Lord. And when we give, it, it's not just an obligation because we understand that God loves a cheerful giver. And I love to give. I love to worship with you. I love to serve the Lord. And I love to give. But let me say to you that sin will turn your service into slavery. And it's nothing but a duty. Sin takes a son's rights because a son has rights. There's a, there's a young man in town. He can come into my house whether I'm there or not. Go to the refrigerator, eat anything he wants to. If he wants to, he can go back and get in one of the beds and take a nap. It's my son because sons have rights. See, if you're a son, there are certain rights that you have. Verse number 31, and he said to him, my child, you've always been with me. And all that is mine is yours. And yet he was living like a slave, though he was a son. 
The father said to him, everything I have is yours. It's always been yours. Everything I have. Let me ask you a question. Are you living as a son of God or has sin taken away your rights? Because that's what sin does. Sin takes away our rights. And then we see finally the father's unconditional love. And the father loved both the sons. Now we know that the prodigal was a sinner. In fact in verse number 21. uh, And the son said to him, Father I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So we know that the prodigal sinned. I don't know all that he did, but we know that he sinned. When he came to the Father, he said, I have sinned. I've sinned against heaven. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He sinned, but the Father loved him. Look at verse number 22. But the Father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf. Kill it. Let us eat and be merry. The son of mine was dead, has come to life again. He was lost, been found, and they began to be merry. He loved the prodigal. I was praying this morning and I was thinking about that because, see, I don't understand God loving me. And then as I was praying this morning, I thought, God, I have some understanding because as a parent, you love your child. Right? I mean, even if your child is in sin, even if they they go off the rails out there, if they get into things that break your heart, you can't help but love them because they're your child. That's a father. And that's the father here. The son had sinned. Yes, he did. But the father loved him. And he said, we're going to have a party. Because my son has returned. But he loved the elder son no less. So the Bible says that he sought him. Verse 28. He became angry and was not willing to go in. His father came out and began entreating him. So the father loves the elder son as well. And so he seeks him out. He's gentle with him in verse number 31. He said to him, my child, you've always been with me. And all that is mine is yours And then he offered a challenge in verse number 32. We had to be merry and rejoice. For this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. I love this story because it, if you're out in sin, identifying with the prodigal, God loves you. If you're in church living like a slave rather than a son, God still loves you. If you're lost, he waits for you as the father was waiting for the prodigal. If you're backslidden, he seeks for you to come home. God loves you. Wonderful story, picture of God's love. Let me conclude. Some of you perhaps are like the prodigal. You can't wait to get out, live your own life, no authority, do what you want to do. Can't wait. Most of us are like the elder brother. We stay in the church. We do the things we're supposed to do and have a condemning spirit. We've lost our joy and we live like slaves rather than sons. So what's this about? You can do right with the wrong spirit and it becomes wrong. You can be a son And live like a slave rather than enjoying the rights and the blessings the Father has for you. 
But I want you to know the Father has unconditional love for you. And no matter which represents you, the prodigal or the elder or neither, God loves you. And he waits for you to come home to receive you and to throw a party for you because that is God. Our Father, I thank you for your great love, a love that is undeserved for which we are not worthy. And Lord, we understand the question that would be why in the world would God forgive us and love us? And it's just because of who you are, not because of who we are. Lord, I pray for those today who would be in the distant country that they might come to the Father, be forgiven, and enjoy being a son. I pray, Father, for those who are in the church but there's no joy in their life because they are doing what they do simply because it's duty rather than a response of love. I pray today that you will give love in their hearts. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In just a moment, we're going to stand, extend an invitation. If you have never invited Christ into your heart, if he is not your Savior today, I, I encourage you to commit your life to him. He's waiting for you, loves you, will forgive you. You say, well, I don't know what to say when I come forward. The staff will be here to receive you. Come this morning, say, I want to know Christ. Maybe you just need to come as a believer and pray and say, God, fix my life. I'm not honoring. I'm doing all things I'm supposed to do. My heart's not right. My spirit's not right. You come. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open. We'd love to have you. We'd love to have you as a part of this family. Stand with me, please. As we stand together, the choir sings, you come. I'll greet you as you do. (coughs) 